Welcome to Export Stories, a podcast featuring first-person insights from the wide and sometimes crazy world of U.S. exporting. Your host for Export Stories is Betsy Olam, president of Olam International, a U.S.-based export management company. Betsy has made a 37-year career of developing global sales and distribution for U.S. companies. Like you, she loves great stories. You don't have to be an exporter to enjoy the stories we're going to share with you each month. We're so glad you've joined us. Now, here is Betsy to introduce today's podcast. Hello, ciao, bonjour, hola, konnichiwa, ni hao, marhaben, namaste, and shalom. Thank you for joining Export Stories Podcast 2023. I'm your host, Betsy Olam. As we continue our virtual tour of the 50 states, we have landed in South Dakota with an inspiring guest. We are honored to speak with Luke J. Lindbergh, President and CEO of South Dakota Trade, an association responsible for strengthening the state's competitiveness in the global economy. Previously, he was with Head of Thought Leadership and Interim Chief of Staff at Sanford Health. Mr. Lindbergh served as the Chief of Staff and Chief Strategy Officer at the Export-Import Bank of the United States, which we'll discuss in more detail in a minute. Mr. Lindbergh is also a senior fellow with the American First Policy Institute Center for American Prosperity and has been featured by Fox News, The Washington Times, The Hill, The Daily Caller, and The Federalist and other national outlets for his thought leadership on international affairs. I'm excited to speak with Luke. Betsy, thanks for having me on today. Oh, it's great. It's great. Lots to talk about. And what I'd like to do is begin with exploring um, you know, the background stories from your business career, and also how you came to South Dakota. It's the kind of experience, you know, that young international traders can only dream about. Uh, we're going to put Exim Bank aside for a moment, because that's a whole discussion unto itself. But if you could start with uh, your background, maybe with IBM and, and kind of lead us through. Happy to, Betsy. Yes, I, I was fortunate to get my start in life uh, with a career at IBM, was working in the international and uh, federal business consulting practices called Global Business Services um, in Washington, D.C. after getting my Master's of Business Administration and Master's of Public Policy degrees from the University of Maryland. Mm-hmm. Spent Spent a, uh, a few years working at IBM. Fortunately for me, my uh, biggest client I worked on was the U.S. Agency for International Development wow. and had an opportunity to work with the USAID team closely uh, on a couple of projects that really exposed me to what the world of international development and trade would look like mm-hmm. and uh, got bit by the bug uh, <laughs> looking for ways to, to get more involved there. Yes. I know, I know the bug. So after that was, uh, and I will say this, I remember way back when I first started in international sales, IBM was kind of like this great training ground for sales mm. and salesmanship. So you probably experienced that as well. That's what I remember. Yeah, by the time I, I was working there, the, the old uh, idea that it was identical blue men uh, had shifted away, and certainly they were pursuing a, a more aggressive path, and I, I was a beneficiary of a lot of the innovation that took place uh, during that time period. I think they do, they do great work, and, uh, and again, you know, was fortunate to work for USAID, um, which eventually got me back here to South Dakota. 
Oh, wow. All right. So you mean it was right after IBM that you came back to South Dakota? I did. I had a good fortune of getting picked up by Sanford Health. Uh, at the time, Sanford Health is the uh, now as well the largest healthcare provider network uh, outside of the Mayo Clinic in the Upper Midwest. About a seven billion dollar a year operation, and oh. they have a partnership with a philanthropist who gave them some money to develop the Sanford World Clinic Initiative. The World Clinic Initiative is designed to uh, provide healthcare services to underserved populations around the world as well as to learn lessons about how healthcare is delivered in different geographies and yeah. bring those lessons back to strengthen the uh, domestic footprint here in America. Wow. So I got, I got picked up to go work for Sanford World Clinic and spent the next uh, four or five years traveling around the world, helping uh, expound US healthcare to new geographies. Did, um, was it a form of telehealth back then or did they mostly bring patients to South Dakota for treatment? It actually was a little bit different than both of those. We, okay. we had some dollars to develop partnerships in different geographies. Each country model was different. It was really the idea of being healthcare consultants and coming in and saying, what is it that you need and that we have that we can help you develop? So for us, that manifested itself in Ghana as we actually owned and operated 33 healthcare clinics. When I was there, we, we uh, employed the employees and owned the P&L statements uh, all the way to uh, consulting on a pediatric facility in Kunming, China, where we employed the senior leadership of the clinic, but the nurses and physicians were staff members at the local uh, hospital. And then in Germany, we actually purchased an equity stake in a hospital there and helped from an advisory perspective and a board member to make sure that that uh, hospital thrived and provided new and innovative treatments to patients uh, really all across the world. And so it was definitely a, uh, a variety of experiences all wrapped up into one, one position and opportunity for me. Oh, wow. I bet that was fascinating. And just curious, uh, because I know we're going to talk about the Exim Bank, what, was the Exim Bank involved in financing some of the clinics in Africa, or, or was that different kinds of financing? We did not use Exim financing. Uh, we oftentimes worked with our colleagues at the uh, International Trade Administration to make sure that they would help us find the right local partner. In each of these countries, we had a local partnership with somebody involved that uh, could help us ensure that we were wanted and accepted there. We certainly didn't want to go in and try to provide health services right. in a place where we weren't welcome and wanted. And so uh, we had a much closer partnership with uh, ITA and the Department of Commerce at the time than we did with the Export Import Bank. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. So as you know, I mean, people should understand there are many ways to partner. In Absolutely. Uh, it, well, I don't know if you call it third world anymore, but developing uh, markets. So interesting. And um, what was thought leadership? Was that something that came much later or, or what, what is that on your resume? It, it was. I, re I returned to Sanford Health after my stint at the Export-Import Bank, uh, coming home, so to speak. I, I moved out to Washington for a few years to, uh, to serve my country and then uh, in that capacity at the Export-Import Bank and then returned back to South Dakota, which is our home. Uh, get my kids back in school and and uh, move back to where I have a couple acres now in a pond and uh, I can hear the cows mooing in the afternoon. So uh, this is this is home for us. That sounds pretty so, good. 
All right, so I totally messed up the timeline by putting off the discussion of the Exim Bank. So let's let's talk about that, how you got to the Exim Bank, and and I want to talk about all these strategic initiatives that you were involved with. But tell tell us about first how you got there, how that came about. I was the beneficiary of a phone call from a friend, actually, that many of you who will listen to this podcast probably know and understand the challenges the Export-Import Bank has had over the years in terms of uh, its political support. Um, and when President Trump decided he wanted to get the bank back and open and operational uh, and put Kim Reed at the time in charge, um, she, uh, Chairman Reed got approved to uh, open up the bank again with a full board in uh, April or May timeframe of 2019. And I shortly received a phone call thereafter from uh, Chairman Reed who said, hey, I'm looking to put together a team and I'd love to consider you. I have some sources here that say you know a thing or two about international trade and how to help me succeed in, in getting this bank uh, up and operational again. I, I, I admire Chairman Reed a lot, but she had a very strategic and clear set of objectives. And that was to reopen reauthorize and reform the Exim Bank. And I uh, was pleased to be part of our team to get the chance yeah. to do that. Um, though I would say most of our listeners do understand what the Exim Bank is about, but if you don't mind, just, just a brief explanation of, of the important role they play in helping to grow exports around the world. The Exim Bank's responsibility is to fill a financing gap when one exists. And so if your company is looking to export your product overseas, whether you're a small business, medium business, or a large business, they have a variety of financing programs that uh, exist to complement private financing, ne never compete with private financing. And so for small businesses, oftentimes that is in the form of a working capital guarantee where your company may need to uh, have some working capital to help construct the, the uh, service or, or uh, product that you're shipping overseas. And maybe your bank doesn't recognize an invoice from a foreign buyer. They can help step in and, and supply the capital that's needed to, uh, to build that product. They, they also offer a trade credit program. So a trade credit insurance uh, offering for small businesses, typically that uh, ensures your product when it's being shipped overseas to uh, a foreign buyer that maybe you have some concern or risk that they may not pay you back. In the event that they don't, uh, the Export-Import Bank goes and chases down the bad actor on your behalf and, and your product is insured against the risk of non-payment. Yeah. And then on the larger side, larger sort of medium to, to larger business side, a lot of these companies are bidding on large foreign procurements from uh, foreign governments. And the Export-Import Bank will actually lend money to those countries or those governments, agencies or, or private companies overseas that uh, is not otherwise available to them in order for them to purchase American products. Exactly. So it, it's a job creation engine that is really focused on uh, making sure there's a level playing field for U.S. companies. And uh, and making sure that the financing's there to uh, to buy America. Exactly. I mean, uh, you know, it's a competitive world out there, and there's a lot of countries such as China that support competitive products and and infrastructure projects, and and this really helps American companies be able to participate in some of those larger kind of projects. 
That's exactly right. You know, the, the example we frequently used was uh, China's Belt and Road Initiative, where they are providing now more export credit financing than the uh, G7 countries combined every year. So it's an order of magnitude or two larger than uh, other countries, which certainly puts our exporters at a disadvantage. Uh, and so I think President Trump at the time recognized that uh, we needed to have a tool that helped to level the playing field as best as we could. And that's, that was the impetus for getting XM back up and operational. Exactly, exactly. So um, let's talk about some of the strategic initiatives that you're involved with. And we are going to talk about South Dakota trade, I promise, but I, I just think it's an important area to talk about. So, um, I mean, do you want to pick a couple of the initiatives that you were involved with and, and highlight them? Happy to. Sure. Happy to. Yeah. The, I think overarching umbrella that really changed the game for the Export Import Bank when I was there was the new program on China and transformational exports, mm -hmm. which was included in XM's reauthorization when I was uh, participating at the bank. And for us, that program gave us statutory, so congressionally authorized. Uh, ability to go and match the terms and conditions that the Chinese were offering uh, their foreign buyers of Chinese products. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that was really changed the game quite a bit for XM and I, I think positioned us to be more aggressive in, uh, in finding that level playing field for our companies. Yeah. Uh, and, and out from that, there was a number of different industry segments listed, and some of them were, were projects that I specifically worked on, like uh, 5G telecom rollout. Okay. So at the time, we worked very closely with our colleagues at the State Department who were uh, heavily engaged in the Clean Network Initiative, which mm -hmm. was the program designed to help countries select a telecom provider that could build out their 5G infrastructure that would not steal their data and believed in democratic uh, freedom and uh, opportunity of, of capitalism and business right. and uh, was not Huawei or ZTE. And so we, we worked closely to find ways to help finance projects in that space, mm -hmm. uh, as well as give them an alternative to, to choose somebody that was not um, was not a Chinese firm. And so that was, uh, was one project I spent quite a bit of time working on. Wow, fascinating. And uh, just curious, are these uh, programs still around as far as you know? They, they are still around, yes. Yep. Okay. So the, the statutory authority, so that what was put into the reauthorization language established this program. Oh, okay. Great. All right. Well, let's talk about what's near and dear to your heart right now, and that's South Dakota Trade, um, which is your current organization. Tell us a little bit about it. Where's the support come from? Um, you know, what is it? <laughs> if you haven't uh, found figured it out yet, Betsy, I, I'm definitely a trade nerd, I think, on, on many respects. I, I just believe that uh, international trade opens up opportunities for us to have uh, high paying, good jobs here in America. And yeah. that's, that's a big focus of mine. So it was a real treat and uh, privilege of mine to come back to my home state of South Dakota and be able to launch a international trade office uh, for our state. Most states have this as a state government agency in right. South Dakota. We, we believe in limited government. And so we've launched... <laughs> 
Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's uh, our governor's done a fantastic job of evangelizing the benefits of uh, small tax, low taxes, and small government. Uh-huh. Um, and so we we put together a structure that's similar to actually North Dakota's trade office, which is a five hundred one c six association. Uh-huh. It's really a business driven. Uh, organization over half of our funding comes from the private sector. Uh, we we are do have some partnership and support coming from our state government, but that is less than half. Okay. And uh, it is really an opportunity for us to uh, put South Dakota on the map, people, let people know we're open for business when it comes to international trade, both exporting and importing. Um, but but also uh, allows us to. Uh, to create a culture of international trade in our state that uh, helps small companies get over the hump for the first time of saying, hey, I could export too. And uh, we have a big focus on that. And what are some of the ways you you do that? You help these companies and, and promote them. And what are some of the ways you do that? We have four programs we offer. Uh, we offer the state trade expansion program. Many of your listeners are likely familiar with STEP. Uh, We were designated by Governor Noem to be the STEP uh, host for the state of South Dakota. We were just awarded our first STEP grant uh, in a number of years just uh, recently. So so good progress on that front. We partner with our small business development centers here in South Dakota to provide free and confidential international trade consulting services. So any company in the state that wants to uh, work with us to expand their overseas exporting opportunities. Uh, we have consultants on staff that provide direct support to those companies. We provide export education, uh, whether that's a new to export company that needs really a beginner course to say, here's uh, what exporting looks like, how do I deal with compliance, and what markets do I select, all the way to 201 and 301 level coursework to keep the skill sets of those that are actively exporting uh, at the top of their game. Yeah. And then the, la- the last piece is we, we have, uh, we, we do both uh, trade missions overseas, but also reverse trade missions here into South Dakota. Um, we've been designated to help uh, our governor and our, our state elected officials and cabinet secretaries and people like that participate in these missions and partner with other organizations to do the same. So we're, we're sort of the hub for international trade here in South Dakota. Our, uh, our tagline is, we help South Dakota navigate international trade. Okay, very nice, very nice marketing uh, branding there. So um, f- let's talk a little bit about um, some of the traditional export industries that you know South Dakota is known for, and then tell us some of your industries whose you know export success might surprise people. Let's start with the traditional export products. I'm going to say grain or something like that. Yeah, you won't be surprised. Our number one (laughs) export from South Dakota is soybeans. Yes, okay. Um, We do over a billion dollars worth of soybean exports a year uh, all over the world. It is a predominant crop for us here. Corn is shortly thereafter, Um, but but we have healthy markets in uh, in proteins as well. Um, so definitely an ag heavy state when it comes right. to our exports, you can drive down the uh, highways here and, and you'd be remiss to see miles and miles of, uh, of corn and soybeans growing uh, all over the place. Yeah. But uh, on that front, you know, there's some really interesting things happening in agriculture exports right now. Uh, you know, take soybeans as a specific example. We, we yeah. have a number of new soybean crush plants going up in South Dakota 
which allows us to take the soybean oil and put it towards things like biodiesel and then export the soybean meal to uh, feed hogs and, and other things around the world. So, yeah. so the, the traditional uh, export the grain and uh, export it as a whole you know, kernel is not necessarily the, the story anymore. Okay. Uh, pod. We, we've uh, we found ways to produce higher value add in our state before yeah. it, it loses our shores. And, and, you know, like most agriculture, I imagine they use every little bit of the plant for something. Is, is that kind of the way it works? It is. If you look at our ethanol industry in the corn space in, in particular, I think they've found a way to use every single byproduct or co-product that exists right. in a corn, kernel of, of uh, corn. So it's pretty amazing. I think when I look around the world, I, if there's one area where U.S. dominates in the agriculture space, it is in the biotechnology sector and figuring out how to advance agriculture beyond what we would call traditional ag farming techniques. It's really our ability to, uh, to, to take the biotechnology side of agriculture and advance it. Uh, the intellectual property there is massive. You know, maybe I should admit this, but I didn't, you know, I think of corn as ethanol. I, I really didn't realize soybean was also, could be a diesel uh, product as well. A diesel it is. Growing industry, uh, vastly growing industry right now. Yeah, I think okay. we're going to be in a situation where uh, we'll have a, a huge demand domestically for the soybean oil that goes into the biodiesel production and uh, figuring out what to do with the, the outstanding meal as part of my responsibility to open up new markets and figure out where we can send that meal to. Oh, okay. Okay. Very interesting. Well, I would imagine that with the war in Ukraine, there may have opened up some new markets that were dependent on Ukraine products. I don't know if that was, if there's a, if that was a competitive area or not. Yep, absolutely for us. So the, the, um, large, two largest market, uh, excuse me, two largest producers of sunflowers in the world are Russia and Ukraine. Right. The two largest producers of sunflowers in the United States are North Dakota and South Dakota. Oh. Uh, we have a number of different sunflower companies. It's quite, quite beautiful. Actually, if you drive down the, the highway at certain times of year, you can see, you see all the sunflower plants. Oh, but wow. uh, there's an, an immense amount of sunflower opportunity for us as one example of, of how the war in Ukraine has impacted our state. Oh, wow. No, that's that's very interesting. Did not know that. But I do love seeing sunflower fields. So I'll... <laughs> Have to remember that. What time of year is that where they're in bloom? It's later summer. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, so, are there some other uh, success stories you can tell us about that are products that maybe we hadn't thought about? You know, for South Dakota. I'd love to share about our financial services industry. South Dakota is a uh, world leader, literally, in financial services. So in the 1980s, we uh, changed some banking regulations that made us a very attractive place to set up uh, banking and credit card operations. So many people don't realize or know that Citibank and Wells Fargo and other institutions have their U.S. domestic operations based in South Dakota. Oftentimes, if you look at a check that's been processed, for example, it'll say it was processed right here in Sioux Falls or a credit card payment. Uh, a lot of that work is done right here in South Dakota. And uh, 
based on that foundational work that was done in the 80s, we have also redesigned some of our trust laws. And so we are the United States leader in trust management. Uh, South Dakota Trust Company is a member company of ours, South Dakota Trade. Uh, we have over half a trillion dollars worth of trusts that are domiciled right here in the Rushmore state. Uh, and one of our trust companies, and I was recently talking with them, said 85% of their new business last year came from overseas. I was going to uh, ask you, what's the global connection to trust? Because you, you, you don't think of that as, a, as an export. So how is that an export? That's it absolutely is. It's a service provision. So what we do is we provide the trust management services, administration services. So what will happen is if a foreign individual or company wants to set up a trust in the United States, they will pay a South Dakota trust company to uh, set up and operate that trust on their behalf right here in South Dakota. And so uh, they can do, uh, they, they file the paperwork for them. They, they manage the day-to-day -day operation of that trust. It is, uh, we have several companies right down here in downtown Sioux Falls that have hundreds of employees that uh, do this on a daily basis, uh, the trust administration work that's required to, to set up these entities. Wow, who knew? And is that all conducted in dollars or is there work with other currencies as well? Or is that mostly a US dollar kind of? All conducted in dollars, and each one of those trusts pays uh, federal income tax every year, so they maintain good, you know, custodial records to make sure that uh, that all of the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. The money is is located here in the United States. And did Sioux Falls uh, did the city itself grow uh, exponentially when when those laws were changed and and those new businesses came about? I mean, did that change the city quite a bit? Well, I, I, uh, we, we love our friends in Iowa. They're close uh, neighbors and friends of ours. But I think if you look at the, the population growth, the differential between Sioux City, Iowa and Sioux Falls, South Dakota, um, at one point in time around the, that period when we changed in banking regulations and things, our population sizes were about the same. I believe Sioux City is, and don't quote me on this, but I think in the maybe 80,000 person range in Sioux Falls is up to uh, the entire metropolitan statistical area is close to 270 or 280,000 people. Okay. Uh, and so it's been a dramatic increase. We had 7,000 people move to Sioux Falls MSA last year alone. Wow. Uh, there's an incredible growth happening right here on the prairie. And I think it's a lot to do with low taxes and uh, open for business and and yeah. uh, the freedom that comes associated therewith. Do y'all have plenty of water? Is water? We we do. We have access to a uh, a very productive water system that's run off the Missouri River, and oh, okay. so there's definitely room to grow and and uh, water at the the current time is not a problem for us. Oh, that's good. I, I know that's a crazy question, but there are parts of this country that because of climate change, you're going to have more and more problems with water. So uh, you're lucky if you've got a good water system. So that's cool. Um, any other industries you want to tell us about um, or stories, just any kind of export stories? Uh, we have a great company here in South Dakota to talk a little bit about um, the value added side of the agricultural piece. Again, this okay. company, is a, it's, a, it's a real biotech uh, innovation group that's called Hudec. 
which is actually the type of soil that we have here in South Dakota. Okay. And they produce feed for uh, aquaculture. So things like shrimp will eat this feed and they grow uh, to become shrimp that can then be sold uh, to markets and other things like that. 80% of their business right now is overseas. So uh, when it comes Asia, to thinking of- Like Southeast Asia, for example, or-, or... Uh, Actually quite a bit in the Caribbean is my understanding as oh. well. Yep. Uh, but but they do ship to the Middle East and Southeast Asia and, and a number of different markets all over the world. So they, they're a great example of how our biotech leadership is really advancing uh, yeah. the, the global economy in that sense. We just handed out our, ex, our Small Business Exporter of the Year Award uh, a few okay. weeks ago to a company um, based right here in T, South Dakota. They make uh, kennels for dogs and uh, other animals to ride around in. You can buy them at Shields or uh, at Dick's Sporting Goods. And their export journey increased their export sales 50% from 2021 to 2022. Wow. Uh, and so they're, they're another great example of a company that is, uh, is moving their export business forward, a great manufacturing story. Oh, that is, that's very cool. That's very cool. And, I, and I, I'm a consumer of dog crates, so I probably have seen that product. Um, so let me ask you something. Um, I want our listeners to gain a feel for what is the beauty of your state. So um, what are some of your favorite places to take foreign visitors to see in South Dakota? Well, we are... Uh very fortunate to have Mount Rushmore in our state. Many people sure. realize that. So that is our number one tourist attraction, yeah. uh, which is part of the beautiful Black Hills National Forest. Um, yeah. so, so that's a that's a top destination for us. And we certainly also include in that area, the Badlands, which is quite beautiful. Are, are the Badlands really, forested or is that a flat area the badlands are are um are an area where it's actually there's no forest at all i mean it is oh, it okay. is it, it looks more like a desert with with craggy looking cliffs and, uh, and it's um it, it 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 looks as though almost like you would imagine hell to look like uh <laughs> it's sort of this desolate uh area but but it's very beautiful i mean in, in the yeah. in the truest sense it's it's yeah. a stunning landscape yeah. Um, that uh, is really neat to drive through and spend time in. And we, we have one of our favorite tourist attractions in the state is Wall Drug. You'll, you'll see signage for it hundreds and hundreds of miles away as you approach. Um, what is it's, that? It's an old drugstore in Wall, South Dakota that uh, began offering free water and five cent coffee a long time ago. And now it's a uh, international staple. If you come to South Dakota, you'll see oh uh, those signs that say 212 miles to wall drug, you know, all the way to, till you get there. And uh, it's a, uh, it's a fun place to, to visit and, uh, and see, spend some time with your family on the way to the, the Black Hills. Oh, that's so cool. Do they have milkshakes? They have milkshakes, but their forte is their donuts. Every oh. time I pass by Wall Drug, my wife expects me to bring home at least a six pack, but but probably a dozen donuts. Oh my gosh! Well, okay, I've got that on on my to do list then, or my what do you call it, your bucket list. Um, wow, that sounds that sounds wonderful. And I imagine 
the history of that area has got to be fascinating. I love history of the Midwest and the West. So uh, I imagine it's, it's, uh, there's some really great historical stories there. We, as well. we do have some stories. Uh, um, we're uh, wild Bill Hickok and calamity Jane are both uh, stories that are, are based right here in South Dakota, which is uh, certainly part of, the whole gold rush historical component there and yeah was it's, that uh, deadwood was it deadwood? deadwood is deadwood's part of that as well okay yep. cool yep. all right this has just been so great and uh i really appreciate your taking time to highlight your businesses there and your you know the south dakota export industry uh so fascinated i hope people go visit south dakota now because uh Personally, I got to go have donuts and milkshakes and, and see Mount Rushmore. So it sounds pretty good. But we'd love to welcome you out here, Betsy. It'd be great to have you. And, and tourism is definitely one of our biggest exports, uh, as we have welcomed many, many, many foreign visitors to our state. Yeah. It is a beautiful place to, to spend some time. Oh, I know it is. Well, Luke, thank you so much for being here today. This was just an excellent conversation. It, I really appreciate it. Um, to our listeners, you know, we want you to weigh in as well. If you have some questions or just want to share your thoughts about this episode, you know, please reach out to me at exportstoriespodcast.com. I'm happy to share your comments there or on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, you know, we're creating a community of exporters. So let's chat about things. Let's chat about issues. Let's chat about what we talked about today. We really welcome you. So anyway, thank you. Thank you again, Luke. It was nice talking to you. Thank you for having me on. I enjoyed it. All right. Well, we'll be back soon with the next episode. Uh, thanks to everybody who listened. Thank you so much for listening to Export Stories. Perhaps you have a good export story that you would like to share with us or a comment about today's podcast. You can send your ideas and comments to our website at exportstoriespodcast.com or to Betsy Olam on LinkedIn. Subscribe to our newsletter at exportstoriespodcast.com so we can alert you of upcoming episodes and share resources with you. We're building a community of export storytellers, so please share this podcast with your friends who have interest in exporting. 